0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact on the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education
1: possible?
2: Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance.
1: We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids.
2: We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something.
3: It should be an excellent school in every community.
2: Enjoy the show. Well, I think I'd like to start today with a discussion about what makes producing content and journalism so much fun. Have you uh, have you experienced this yet, Laura? Uh, by the way, I'm Scott Lewis from the Voice of San Diego.
1: I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance.
2: Uh, have you already now experienced the thrill of like putting out content and the feedback that comes from it and stuff I like that? I have. Yes, it's fun. I've right? Really
1: enjoyed. The emails that I've gotten from listeners um, and also looking at the comments online. It's great to see people engaging with the content and opening my mind up to new angles on it and new ideas. Yeah,
2: it's my opioid. I mean, I just, (laughs) I love turning a piece of content in and and getting the feedback from it. But it has a way of also being a problem, kind of hard (laughs) sometimes. Okay, Some people, you know, so we already have uh, a big detractor of the show, Good Schools All right.
1: All. We need one of those. Yeah. Or or more. Yeah. Bring it on, folks. Well, I
2: and I'm sure there's others just silently seething. <laughs> but uh one of but we this local libertarian, uh Michael Robertson, he's well known for his uh feisty tweets. And uh, he's an entrepreneur, very successful person. He um he says all we're doing here is just propaganda for government schools using emotional arguments and lacking qualitative uh, analysis Uh-oh. and uh, he said, you know, you didn't, you didn't, these should be based on, you know, graduation rates and you're just telling fun, emotional stories about schools. You're not actually like evaluating them using, and I pointed out last time that when we talked about the last week, when we talked about high tech high that, you know, we brought up some of their metrics and things that they're proud of. And he said, well, you would never do that about a private school. I said,
1: I don't, sure.
2: I think we might, Let's, right? Like yeah. I think the discussion about, you know, good schools for all includes private schools at what point can you make that choice? What kind of programs can you do to facilitate that choice for people who would benefit from? It? I don't know. It's worth talking about. It's worth talking about for sure. And and he said uh, it doesn't
1: get talked about very much in California. So he
2: he was just he was incredulous that we would consider doing that. Uh, he and he said you know well I hope you know two I said what's well, two sub, two episodes in. Bro. <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I'll see. And he says, I hope the podcast covers real issues in government schools, which hurt kids and parents like no after work hours, parent teacher conference.
1: Oh, that's a big one.
2: Actually it got me the other day. I had to go, I had to leave work to go to the parent teacher conference. Yeah. But, uh, a lot
1: of parents can't do that. So it is a real issue. Yeah.
2: So consider it talked about and we'll talk about, <laughs> but I think it transitions into the theme of the day really well, which is choice. And and let's be clear, we're talking about choice right now uh, this week in, in uh, between neighborhood schools, charter schools, and schools outside your neighborhood, mm-hmm. or private schools, right? And uh, and this is you know this is or not- online schools exactly, yeah. And we're not gonna you know this isn't gonna be something we're gonna put package today and put to rest. This will be the theme of the podcast for its inter- for its for its uh, existence, I think.
1: Really, I mean, we called it good schools for all. So that's what we're taking on is wanting all kids, regardless of zip code, to have great choices, great schools, and great opportunities educationally. So we're just starting.
2: Yeah. So uh, we wanted to highlight, uh, if you have perspective, uh, like Mr. Robertson, about the show so far, we want to get your voice on here. Uh, So, uh, Michael, anyone else out there who wants to uh, get your voice on this podcast, we set up a voicemail for that uh, so that we can hear your feedback and respond to it. Uh, We've already gotten a couple on there from an email we sent that says, uh, you know, where should I send my kid (laughs) to school? (laughs) Stuff like that. Uh, The number is 619-354-1085. Again, that's 619-354-1085. Obviously, that's not something we can do live But uh, if you send in your comments, uh, if they're interesting, I'm sure we're going to, we're going to try to handle them because that could be, we might even put together full shows that are about just responding to the, to the discussions that come in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And you can also, of course, uh, leave comments at Voice of San Diego. Every week we'll post the show along with the show notes and links that we talk about. And then we'll also, uh, you know, it'll be on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter. Both of us are tweeting the episodes. So that's one of the best ways to get my attention because I'm addicted to it, <laughs> so uh, so that's uh, that's a good place to start. And but,
1: folks have sent us email as well, which is great.
2: Yes, so uh, please consider using that. Uh, and and let's talk about choice and choice in school. And San Diego Unified, where we're based, has a tremendous actual choice culture here. Uh, they do. There is a lot of there are a lot of parents and students choosing to go outside of their neighborhood school and or to go to uh, a charter school which might be in their neighborhood but is you know considered by at least the district to be something they want to avoid or curtail in the future. And so uh we host we host Voice of San Diego hosted a discussion about this issue at the Balboa Parks uh, Prado uh, area and this was with in conjunction with Citizens Coordinate for Century 3 a more land use planning organization. This is how I sort of pitched it to him. I'm like, look, neighborhoods Schools schools are important when you think of the future of San Diego's neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Good. let's have this. It was a great and fun discussion then. We uh, highlighted uh, John Lee Evans was there. He's a school board trustee. He's one of the big proponents of the district's push to try to keep kids in their neighborhood school. He, mm-hmm. That uh, sees it as a negative that many are going outside their neighborhood school or choosing charters.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the things I appreciate about San Diego Unified, though, is their approach to it is not keep kids as enforced kids to attend their right. neighborhood school, but they're trying to entice them to choose their neighborhood school or to not choose outside of their neighborhood school.
2: Right. They're um, embracing the framing that this is a choice. Yeah. And so we should make it an attractive choice to stay. Yeah. Uh, and then we had... We were supposed to have David Alvarez, who is right at the center. He's a city councilman, right at the center of the discussion about what to do about Memorial Prep School. This is the middle school in Greater Logan Heights that's struggling tremendously, and he is an advocate for tearing it down and rebuilding it with a new curriculum. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally tearing it down, like <laughs> its bones and its foundation. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then also was Sandy Weiner, a, a parent who helped turn around McKinley, elementary in North park. And, uh, that was an interesting perspective as, sh- as she described how the parents all got together, uh, and really worked to, to make it a school that was attractive for parents to stay. And mm-hmm. she's very proud and she should be about what happened there. Yeah. and I've then, seen that
1: work in other places as well.
2: Right. Where parents,
1: communities were, come together and decide to embrace and invest in, um, and enroll together in their neighborhood public school and stick it out and lift it up.
2: Right. And then uh, Dean Joe Johnson, uh, and he's the uh, dean of the College of Education at San Diego State University. So let me start with a clip uh, from John Lee Evans. John Lee Evans was describing a problem from his perspective that the district faces as it loses, as schools, as, as students choose other schools outside of the one that they're assigned in their neighborhood. He says it might be something that's just in our, in our minds, really.
3: What we're saying is, we don't want people to leave their neighborhood school because they believe, uh, true or not, that the quality of school in the neighborhood is not that great. If there are other reasons, there's some special programs our us, that's fine. And uh, I really believe that the quality of school and the perception of the quality of school go hand in hand because the reputations don't die easily, and so if school is seen, as a uh, poorly performing school that stays for a long time, it's a high performing school that stays for a long time. One of the things we haven't done, is, but there's a synergy in terms of it's the belief this high performing school that they actually start performing better. And one of the things we haven't done as well in, in our neighborhood schools is, is the market, people know a lot about you know, the charter schools have done a lot better job, of marketing schools, and pointing out what they have to offer. The neighborhood school is just there by default, people don't necessarily know. It.
2: So first off, sorry for the audio quality. Uh, We didn't have the, uh, it was a logistical problem to get uh, real high quality, but you were shaking your
4: head.
1: I was focusing really hard to understand his words, but marketing and reputation are surely part of it. There are schools who are under, under underappreciated by their communities. Some of that has to do with the tools that parents have for evaluating the quality of a school are pretty limited. Test scores are really tangible, but they reflect a lot the demographics of the local neighborhood. And parents don't often um, have a way to tell whether the test scores are actually showing that the students are performing better than their demographics would predict. Mm-hmm. So you can have a school with high scores that's actually not very high performing. The kids could be performing better than that. Or you can have uh, a school with relatively lower scores, but it's actually a really high performing school because the kids are doing better than, than their demographics would predict that they would do. So um, so I, there's something to what he's saying, but it's not the whole story.
2: Yeah, I look at my own school, for example, and there was a lot of it has uh, uh, my kid is going to Ocean Beach Elementary and it was just revealed recently that Ocean Beach Elementary is one of the uh, top eight or nine schools in San Diego. With uh, the least amount of achievement gap between uh, uh, Latino and, and Black students and, and and Asians and whites, and, and uh, that's pretty cool. That's that was,
1: really great. Yeah, can and you can you tell that uh, walking around the school? Do you have any sense for it's the a, equality of? Yeah, you know, it's, education it, there
2: it, for a coastal, you know, San Diego school. It it clearly feels more diverse than you might expect, especially as as even that neighborhood gentrifies more than you might. Expect, But I, I know this perception issue, I mean, very closely because when our school had an actual problem where we lost two teachers this year because of enrollment. Enrollment went down and the two teachers went to, had to go to another school where enrollment was going up. And so a lot of us were really concerned about that because it caused a disruption, you know, mm-hmm. uh, several weeks into the school year. And so I got on that too and and asked, uh, uh, I remember asking, one of um, our parents who was in the same preschool, and I asked her, like, why did you choose not to send your, your child to the same school that you were assigned to, the, the one that we sent him to? And it was, it was a very revealing discussion where she was worried first most, f- foremost about security. The school is one of these very old schools that was built right up next to the, uh, to the street and right in the heart of the village of Obie, which there's a lot of homeless folks that walk around. It's a high-traffic area. And so she was worried about security. Okay. The, the second issue was about English language learners. She was uh, actually worried about how many English language learners there were in the school and how whether that would distract from uh, the learning environment. And so... It was interesting because I, I think there were a couple of perception problems there that the school and we talked to the principal about directly addressing. And my wife helped redesign. She's a graphic designer, so helped redesign the flyer and stuff like that. Right. So okay, I, th- yeah. I, I can see exactly what they're talking about. There is a perception mm-hmm. problem. But I, I wanted to push back. And, and this is what I said. It feels like you're getting really close to saying, like, this is just a perception problem. Is it just a perception problem? No, no, absolutely right. so, not. So you agree there are some low-performing schools that parents <coughs> legitimately are avoiding. Absolutely. So what yeah. do
3: you do about that? Well, we, we, I think since Superintendent Cindy Martin has come in, has a lot of work in terms of one of the things we said to the board. The first issue is principal leadership. We said that if we have a stellar principal at every school, uh, that's we're going to be halfway to where we need to be in terms of motivating teachers, and community, and everybody. Uh, there's been a lot of talk but There's been a lot of changes of uh, principals over the few years that uh, city Martin has uh, been superintendent, and uh, I, I really do believe that we're going to see some results. from that the high quality of uh, leadership of the principals in schools,
2: and there has been a lot of talk about that. Dozens of principals have been pushed out or transferred or whatever. Some uh, there was a couple of very actual high profile and controversial ones. But most, you know, have been have been going, you know, pretty. I think pretty well, or at least they were pretty well accepted. We're actually going to talk to one of the new principals uh, later in the show, and we should talk about that. Uh, Hoover High School's principal Joe Austin has been there almost two years now, and he is uh, he came into the studio along with the dean of students at Hoover High School, and and they're at right at the forefront of this discussion where they're trying to keep the school. In 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 at least the perception of the neighborhood and in in the quality of the uh, of the pers- of you know what's true, they're trying to keep kids to stay in the in at that school and uh, you know to varying degrees they're having some success.
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately I'm going to miss that interview with Joe Austin, but I I was really excited for him to be on the podcast because he's such a strong leader and he has that um, perspective of thinking about ways both to improve the quality of the instruction and the programs that are happening at Hoover, while also marketing and reaching out to the middle schools and elementary schools that feed into Hoover and um, helping that whole community to um, to love on Hoover and to to have a sense that they could send their kids to programs they trust at the elementary level and then keep them moving through um, all the way through to Hoover. So he's he's really hard at it, and he's a great new school leader that San Diego Unified has installed.
2: Yeah, they had some uh, good results on the actual uh, uh, first uh, use of that new test, right? That new interactive digital test that, uh, that students are taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But there was some pushback to uh, some of the things that John Lee Evans was talking about. So one of the things that he talked about, and this is brought up by the board a lot, is the idea that these schools get in into a kind of negative spiral, a terrible spiral where parents who are concerned about their child's education take their children out of it out of the school, move them to a choice or a, a charter school or a private school, and then don't uh, and then neglect that school and that school goes through a, a you know negative feedback loop where where it's worse and worse and worse. and that happens more and more. And then sort of what's left there, is the uh, is are are a bunch of students who don't have engaged parents and and this is this was what uh, John Lee Evans mentioned and that they wanted to address. They want to make sure that not only is there diversity of of ethnicities and races in school, but actual of diversity of of parent involvement is what, the way he called it. Hmm. And he, Joe Johnson, uh, the dean of the College of Education at San Diego State, had a really interesting response to that. I wanted to play
0: something else that's really important. That underlies the question is the perception that uh, in some of these situations like you described in Memorial, that uh, the good students leave and the less than good students stay, and so it becomes very difficult for that school to ever become a good school. So I hear that but when we see these very high performing schools we see a different attitude where there is the assumption that all of our kids are capable, all of our
1: Powerful testimony. You could hear him thinking really hard and choosing his words carefully. He he is um, also the director of the National Center for Urban School Transformation, or I think it's called. So he and his team at SDSU have studied successful and helped to support schools turning themselves around around the country. And so his comments are born from that experience, from having seen schools successfully. Um, who, who maybe were starting from a, a low place, start to deliver really great, high-quality education for kids. Um,
2: you know, he had a really interesting point that, you know, Gompers, he went to, or his, his uh, school in his neighborhood would have been Gompers, and Gompers had a really terrible reputation when he was growing up, and he remember, he actually related a story where he told his mo- mom that he wanted to go to Gompers, and she said, absolutely no way am I going to let you go to Gompers? And he said, look, I'm a product of, of going to a better school. And, and, and so I understand that choice. I understand that pressure. And what's interesting now is Gompers is of course a much different place, Mm -hmm. uh, really well-regarded Switched to a charter school and, and, and now has, uh, you know, is very attractive to people uh, who are in the neighborhood. Right? Yes. Yeah, I found what he said really powerful and I think uh, it's easy to get caught up in these logical loops where you're where you hear a, a theory like that that a school is falling apart, that parents leave and that it it uh, spirals downward and downward and you're just like, "Okay, well that's that's what's happening there." And almost we just have to accept that. And what he's saying there is we can't accept that. Even regardless of the parental involvement. We have to be obsessed with creating the kind of expectations and leadership at that school that overcomes it somehow. And maybe it's an alternative program. Maybe it's a creative approach. Maybe it's some sort of resource infusion. Maybe it's a. Maybe it's. Maybe it's closing the school. Whatever the discussion has to be to make sure that those kids still have the same expectations and same opportunities, no matter what level of parental involvement they, they have, right?
1: You have to have that attitude because if you don't bring that attitude to the work, then you're essentially blaming the kids and or blaming their families. And that's not uh, that's not going to turn things around for a school, and it's also unfair to the, the kids in that school. So
2: It might make us all feel better about why it's happening, but it doesn't help our economy. It doesn't help our school system. It doesn't help anything that we care about, and why we why we even profess that good schools exactly. for all. It's dead end thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, this is obviously something we're not going to handle in in fifteen minutes on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, send us your comments six one nine three five four. 1085. Talk to us about the perception issues. What are you what are perception issues that your school has dealt with that you've overcome? What are actual issues and uh, actual performance issues that you've overcome that have made the perception issues easier? And and what how did you make your own choices uh, for where to send your children? We'd love to hear all that. 619-354-1085 and we have our number of the week which is about this topic.
1: The number of the week is 58%, and Scott Voice of San Diego reported on this number because there was a uh, report issued this week for the Center for Education Policy and Law um, that uh, did a study of the participation rate in San Diego Unified Schools, and the number is 58%. So it's a 58% of students in San Diego across the whole district are participating or choosing to attend their local neighborhood school. Or the flip of that is that 42% of students are opting out of their local neighborhood school. Yeah,
2: and a couple of points on that. One, that doesn't include, right, the discussion of the parents who are already going directly to private school.
1: It does not. So it, yeah, that's a percent of kids attending public school, public schools, including charter schools.
2: And then the second point is... Uh, there are, the district's pushback to that study was that, well, you're not considering the kids who don't go to the assigned neighborhood school, but stay in the cluster. So they're not necessarily going across town or go to the charter school. They're just staying in the cluster. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about that in the article, but I think that's, that's, that's exactly the point, though. They are choosing not to go to the, to the direct assigned school. and Why? And what are you doing about that? And what's the difference? And why is it important that they do stay there? That's a discussion that we need to, we need to have. If this, if that sort of choice outside the the assigned uh, school is okay, why is, why does it suddenly get not okay when it's to a charter or to outside the cluster?
1: Right. I mean, for me, I don't read that number 58% or 42%, whichever way you look at it necessarily as a negative number. For me, it's, an expression of the school district offering and families exercising choice. If you think that one school fits all, that there's just that we can somehow create one model of school that's good for every kid, then sure, we should have 100% participation rate in your neighborhood school. But if you believe that some kids will do better in some settings than other settings, that families have valid reasons for picking different models, then this is, you know, this is a fine number. There's no way to optimize or pinpoint where it should be. And This tells me that San Diego supports quite a good amount of choice.
2: All right. And our what's working.
1: So for what's working, I wanted to highlight dual language immersion schools. Because that's a choice that many families across our county are able to make, and it's extremely popular. Dual language immersion schools are schools that offer instruction in more than one language, at least 50% non-English um, during the course of a day. And um, they ten- they optimally integrate both native English-speaking kids with some non-native English-speaking kids, although the language of a dual uh, language immersion school can be Mandarin or Hebrew or German or some language that where we don't have a lot of native English speakers and it celebrates bilingualism which is a great asset for a kid to bring into the world of work later on it's going to be highly marketable and it also makes us more makes that kid more competitive on the global marketplace because most kids around the world are growing up at least bilingual
2: Do we have any evidence that it works?
1: Yes there's good Um, good research supporting dual language immersion, both as a way for um, non-native English speakers to acquire and master English, um, maybe surprisingly, and as as a great instructional framework for native English kids. So yeah, it's a very strong approach.
2: All right. Well, stay tuned. We have our discussion with Hoover High School's principal, Joe Austin, and the Dean of Students, Syria Brewer.
1: Uh, Joe's really just impressed me both with his thoughtful approach and leadership at the school. I visited Hoover and and, uh, walked around and visited classrooms with him and saw both his love for the kids and uh, the way he's created and strengthened and is planning future strengthening of all the offerings for students there. But I've also seen him out in the community. And he believes strongly in partnerships and engagement with his local neighborhood and bringing the neighborhood together around Hoover. I, th- I think it's going to, I think it already has yielded dividends for the Hoover kids and will yield more in the years to come.
2: And one quick note Voice of San Diego is in the middle of its spring fundraiser. We're trying to raise $100,000 this month. Please go to slash donate if you want to support this show or anything we do there. And uh, of course, we're doing this podcast in partnership with the Education Synergy Alliance. I bet you have a place where they could donate there too.
1: Absolutely. SDEDSynergy.org. All
2: right. Joe Austin. Okay. I'm joined in studio right now uh, in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio uh, with Syria Sir- Brewer mm-hmm. and uh, Joe Austin. That's right. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Joe is the principal of uh, hoover high school and syria is the uh, dean of students right Yes. am yeah. i doing the name all right syria, yes. syria. Perfect. yeah good <laughs> um so well welcome thank you for for coming in i have the first question i got to put out to you i talked to mario
5: and i gotta ask you did you get that leak in your roof fixed the leak in the roof, the roof has been fixed. Yes, Woo-hoo-hoo! thank you very much. Let's play a sound there. <laughs> and, I, and I owe him. I, t- I sent him a message the other day. I owe him a phone call. So if Mario's listening, I, I'm going to get you.
2: Okay, cool. Great. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, Joe, tell me a little bit about uh, how long you've been principal and uh, and... Uh, your background.
5: So May 1st will be um, the second anniversary of my time at Hoover. And um, my background before that, I was a principal for three years in the Hoover cluster at an elementary school, Joiner Elementary, which is a mm-hmm. micro society magnet. That was Great fun getting to know the kids and the families in that community and, and learning a little bit about um, um, that micro-society program, which is awesome. Uh, and then the, when the opportunity came up to, to take on Hoover High, I jumped at the chance to go and kind of do what I had done previously at San Diego High uh, in a much bigger format.
2: So, so my role on the podcast is to be kind of dumb and just to be like the propeller of like... Oh, explain that to me and, and are you guys bring- taking applications for that. <laughs> I would be perfect.
5: So, Mike, what is a micro society? The, the micro society program is a is a program that essentially gives kids in their all the way from TK to fifth grade a role in in a society. So there are within those classrooms, you know, three hours a week they convert to um, businesses or nonprofit agencies or post offices or banks, and there are three banks and two of them are consumer banks and one of them is a business bank and everybody applies for and gets a job. And so there's leadership development capacity and kids get to work with numbers and apply skills. It's, it's awesome.
2: So it's kind of the project based uh, learning we've been talking about a little bit. It is, it is actually yeah, embodied. All right, Syria, what's your background?
4: Um, My background is actually in special education. I started as an elementary school teacher at Perkins um, Elementary in Logan Heights. And then uh, I moved over to Hoover about five years later, wanted to work with high school kids. Um, I was a special ed teacher there for a few years and then moved into dean of students role.
2: So that's a big difference, uh, elementary to high school, right?
4: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I love it. I love the high school kids. very different than elementary, but also they're still kids and these big awkward bodies and just trying to figure things out. They still need the same kind of love and attention and teaching as the little ones, but you know they're just trying to figure out how to be these adults.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I got a, the five-year-old who's, who's <laughs> that transition's not going very well. But it, we're, we're getting better. So let me ask you. Um, I know it's a big a change sometimes to move from. Uh, uh, teaching to Mm -hmm. uh, administration. So was that hard for you?
4: No, no. um, I mean, there are some aspects that have been difficult, but uh, being in special education, I was out of the classroom a lot. So I had the opportunity to be in multiple classrooms throughout the day. And then it was just kind of a natural progression for me to... Take on some leadership in terms of discipline as well on the campus. And Just what does
2: the dean of students do? Is it like an assistant principal of the past, or uh, no? no. That was <laughs> always the authoritarian at <laughs> our school.
4: Yes, and that's pretty much what it is, okay. but not quite in the more in the that traditional sense.
2: And the reason you're here is because uh, part of this we do every week on the podcast is a discussion about. Um, what's working. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of a giant version of that. So Mm -hmm. you have some programs underway that people are pretty excited about. And one of them that you're in charge of is restorative justice. So tell me what you're trying to do there. That's the idea that you're not just punishing kids. You're actually trying to help them understand what they did and and make make amends.
4: Yeah. So in special education, um, you know, if there was a behavior problem, if there's something that went wrong. We taught our students what to do right. Um, There's behavior modification, there's positive behavior supports. And so I was watching what was happening at this high school level and just seeing how there wasn't any teaching really happening. And so that's how I kind of wiggled my way into this role, I guess, Um, just because I was just like, we we can be fixing this. It doesn't have to be just get rid of them. We can teach them What to do instead? We can work with them, and so over the course of I don't know how many years have I been dean now, Um, we've slowly, (laughs) um, slowly moving into more of a positive discipline approach at Hoover. Um,
2: So, what would happen, you know, two or three years ago when somebody got in trouble? What happens now, and how has that changed the school?
4: Pretty much, students were suspended. They were sent out of class. There was Mm -hmm. really nobody to be able to help you know, work with that student. And it was easier in a yeah. lot of ways to just send the student away and to suspend them.
2: And talk about, there's, there's a lot of talk about suspensions right now in the, mm-hmm. in the country, because there's a, the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. idea that the more you punish them, the more you keep them out of school, the more it's actually going to hurt them and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of predestine them to failure in the future. So, uh, what, what else is going on with the thinking on, on, uh, on suspensions?
4: So there are there is a time and place for suspension. There's sometimes where you know you just have to separate mm-hmm. students. You have to you know send that message, whatever it may and be.
5: Cooling off period. Of sorts. Exactly.
4: Um, but also now we're trying to get in front of those things so we don't have to go to suspension and work on teaching and working with our kids and teaching them what to do instead. Um, I look at it as a parent. Um, we could do that timeout approach, which I think a lot of us have experienced that doesn't really work that well to just push your kid away and shun them and, you know, go learn your lesson, mm-hmm. which they don't. They just come back really angry and not having learned many lessons um, to so, sort of like a time in approach as a parent, you know, sit down with my child and talk to them about what happened and work with them and figure out what to do next. It's taking kind of that parenting style to an education
5: That's That's the part I think that's conspicuously absent in the old model, Scott, where we kind of affectionately refer to it as the pound of flesh model of student discipline, where when kids don't do what we expect them to do, it's kind of out with you for some period of time. And and I get it as a teacher myself. I I had those days where I I just couldn't take that kid dancing on my last nerve one more minute. Mm -hmm. I, I understand it. I can empathize with it. But the problem with it is, as Sidia said, we, we would get into the habit of just, okay, well, this is two days or this is three days, or maybe it's even five days. And there was no teaching component. There was never sort of a, a, a take a knee moment where we sat with kids and said, hey, here's what it looks like from somebody else's perspective. And that's really kind of at the heart of restorative is to let kids, kids who are not living up to our expectations in one way or another, sit down and hear the stories about the impact of the harm. And in many cases that they've created, their actions have created. And what we found is two things, and I don't want to speak for Cydia, Mm -hmm. but I know this is true. It's a lot more work to be restorative um, and it changes behaviors. And so in the end, you know, we're a learning institution. These are learning opportunities. And we were really missing an opportunity to help kids understand um, the impact of their actions or okay. lack of actions. So let's say a kid,
2: a um, high school kid puts a firecracker in a trash can. I, I don't know why I came up with that. I'm hypothetical, gonna, it, might purely be, hypothetical. it might be something that somebody I know did. <clears throat> friend of mine, of course. Yes. Definitely uh, and so what, <laughs> what happens? What happens to that uh, student in this system?
4: Well, um, you know, we'd have to look at so many different circumstances and that's where the work comes in is figuring out really what happened. Why did that happen? What's going on with this kid? Um, You know, there, there are, again, some traditional aspect, you know, ways that we will have to take, you know, we light a fire, probably a suspension um, or school police may have to get involved, but also then... Figuring out why that behavior happened. Why is this kid looking for this attention? Why is this kid, maybe are there tons of truancies? So what are his grades like? What's going on at home? And help them see, you know, the whole, the big picture. Help us see the big picture. Have that student possibly work with the people that had to clean up that mess and deal with all of that damage. See how much damage was done. Help take care of that damage. Is
2: there like a teen court or a peer court? That's often a feature of restorative programs.
4: Um Crawford High has a teen court. We do not have one. We'd yeah, like we don't to have get there. Yet, yes, we, yet, we're, we're, yet. We're in the midst. Cool. Growth mindset. Um <laughs> 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 where, you know, that's definitely an, an area that we want to, you know, look into in terms of a diversion program within the community. Um, but again, that's more of like the school police criminal aspect of what of it. Um, but it, w- it would be us working with the deans, administration, anybody else who's affected working together with the students, parents, and figure out what is the best thing that can be done to repair that harm.
2: Uh-huh. And how's it been?
4: It, how's it been? It's been great. I mean, today I just left a conference that um, with uh, three young ladies who got into an altercation and uh, we'd had parents involved. Everybody was really nervous, you know what's, you know, is anybody going to take responsibility for this? Everybody had a chance to talk about their perspective, what the impact on them has been, um, and what they need to be able to feel safe and move forward. And everybody left like almost like hugging each other. Parents were just like in tears and like, thank you so much. And the students left like feeling confident and safe.
2: Whereas in the past, you might have suspended them, and they'd go off on their own and right. come back and, and maybe knows. fight again <laughs>
4: exactly in, in exactly. this event
5: there was there were um, you know the facts of this event would have included a certain arrest, absolutely an arrest, maybe a recommendation for expulsion and that's the you know the book the book that we you know I allude to kind of throwing at kids when they make mistakes. Really tied our hands in in many ways, but there are a lot of people who have become comfortable with, you know, that it's out of my hands. It's the book says I got to do this. They're mm-hmm. looking for the if then of when a, when a kid misses. This expectation, this is what happens, and it's not me making the decision. The book made the decision. Yeah. It's a lot more work to sit down with kids and do the type of one-on-one counseling, not just with students, but about, uh, but with members of the community that are affected. So certainly parents, bystanders, in the in the event that you had a physical altercation, which you know occasionally happens at, at secondary level. there There are people that are harmed that weren't a combatant. You know, the kids that saw how this went down have feelings and reactions to it too. It's a lot of work to do that restorative piece. But as Cydia described, and I talked to one of the parents involved in this altercation on Monday, on their way out, I spoke to him while they were in our school police officer's office and said, listen, the, this, what he's talking about is the criminal side, and we don't have any control over that. In fact, for decades, we've tried to keep those two things separate, school site discipline completely separated from what might happen on the criminal side. And I think this is really the beautiful marriage of it, because by the time these students get into a juvenile court to address some of the issues that they're responsible for. On the criminal side, they'll be able to say, this is what happened at Hoover High School. This is where the Dean of Students took my family and I, and these are some of the resolutions we came up with, and, and reflect on that in front of a court judge. Like, I think it's a breath of fresh air yeah. for the juvenile court systems. Well,
2: let me ask you, you mentioned the the figurative book, but there are a lot of actual books that describe like what you're supposed to do when we you run a shell full <laughs> of them. exactly like what you're supposed to do when you run a school. And so, you know, what level of flexibility do you have to, to sort of try these kinds of things, but there's also just stuff you just have to do.
5: Right. It's true. And, and, in... <sighs> I, I feel like our district leadership, Cindy Martin in particular, has given her principals, um, the, encouraged her principals to really invest in this restorative practice. It, it dates back to my first month on campus at Hoover, where the invite went out to schools that say, this is something we're looking at, and and from the office that ultimately became the Office of Youth Advocacy. We'd love to get schools interested in this. If you'd like to bring a few people, please do. So Cydia and I and another member of our, t- our student support team, Kasimu Harley, went to this training and came away blown away by just how practical the the, the tools of restorative practices and the, and the the use of what we call circles in the classroom environment are, and it creates not not just a a, a climate or a culture within a classroom, but it can permeate a whole campus. Uh, but it's really practical. You can take it back to your classroom and use it the next day. So we sent an email out at the end of the year. Teachers are dragging at the end of the year. And and uh, I said, listen, this is coming up. It's in the summer. And if you're interested. And, and we had 25 teachers fill those spots. And another 25 went the next month once school started. So it's clear to me that teachers at Hoover High School, who I've long known to be awesome, caring educators, are interested in doing things differently and creating better results for kids.
2: Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about Hoover and how it's changed. Um, So, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the last just even five years, right? And so what what was the school like when you got there? Maybe some uh, graduation rates. Uh, I know that you had some really good test scores that came out uh, last spring, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, we were happy with the initial CASP test scores. We were um, excited to see that, in fact, kids are doing better on that exam than, than they have historically done. Even with incremental increases over the past several years in CSTs, I think kids are going to do better on the CASP. I think it's a better test. I think it's not sort of the narrow, you know, which one of these choices is the best choice for an answer. It really gets at w- w- getting kids to think and, and explain their thinking. And,
2: All right, this is where the dumb guy comes in. So, okay. <laughs> so tell me what's different about the test.
5: So the tests aren't the narrow multiple choice, Metrics. In fact, we've developed computer-based adaptive tests that will ask you a question. If you get it right, it'll, it may ask you another question that gets to that same standard. Once you've answered a couple of those right, if it says, okay, Scott's got this figured out. We're going to move on to some of the other standards. So it's not the same, you know, there's 12 pages of this test, and you will turn until I say stop, and then everyone will stop and put their pencils down. It's computerized. It's adaptive. Kids can take it on a number of different platforms, including iPads. It's uh, terrifying for adults who may not be digital natives, but kids have taken to it like ducks to water, and and I think the the biggest change is that we're not just asking you what's the answer to this, which of these four numbers is the best answer to this math problem. We're asking you to explain your thinking behind it, and that gets scored too.
2: Yeah, we we, we did a, a show a couple weeks ago about uh, the film most likely to succeed about that profiles uh, uh, high tech high, and it was it was talking about. It was There was a really interesting moment where they, they confront a, a math teacher uh, who, who's been talking about all these inventive, exciting ways to help his students learn the concepts that they're dealing with. And then the students talk, and they're like, yeah, we don't want that. We just want to do well on the test. Mm-hmm. So there was this difference between performing well on a test sort of playing the game well to get into a good school, to be you know successful or whatever, and then learning the concepts. Do you feel like a shift is actually occurring between that where it's not necessarily just playing the game well, but people are actually embracing this idea of of getting the concepts right?
5: Well, I can tell you that there were lots of schools and lots of school leaders who had gotten really good at slicing data, thin slicing data and saying, how do we get the biggest bang for the buck out of the limited resources we have to improve our academic performance index. And, and, and I don't know that that was the best for all kids. I think it's much better to think about how are we giving kids opportunities to make meaning of content and, 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 uh, How are we creating formative ways to gauge their understanding as we build it? And and that's really what we've been focused on. You you talk about the last five years. I can only speak to the last two years at Hoover. When I showed up, I I know that there have been a lot of efforts. And and like I said before, a ton of really great people have been there working for years trying to make better outcomes. But we've been with some of the structures, in my opinion, were overlapping. We had lots of community-based organizations that want to come help, and they were kind of stepping on each other's toes a little bit. And we've spent a lot of my first 18 months or so there trying to help them see what the school vision is and how their organizations can help drive kids toward it.
2: What's the school vision?
5: So the school vision is we want we want kids to be making meaning out of w- content across the board by using a universal set of college-going skills. So if there, there are some cognitive skills, some communication skills, and some study skills that should be ubiquitous across our learning community, that we should not Kids should not be surprised that we're asking them to synthesize or analyze or or to be metacognitive or work cooperatively or, or, or present their understanding from one class to the next. So we've really been working hard to get those instructional practices to be commonplace, every class, every every subject area. So it's not the old, well, this kid's struggling with reading, but I'm a science teacher, so I can't help them. It's like, no, we're all working at Hoover on uh, getting better at helping kids meet some of these writing demands. We're the current phase of PD that we're in right now is uh, building on last year where we focused entirely on can you create regular collaborative conversation opportunities for kids? Opportunities structured, regular opportunities in every class for kids to turn and talk to each other in structured ways and exchange information and build understanding. And we're we we, we going to build on that this year by saying that's nice that we're getting better at collaborative conversations, but if it doesn't, if that doesn't result in kids being more prepared to write in a, in a salient, cogent way, then maybe we're not doing it right. Yeah. So that's it's the common practice for for my two cents. The the common practice across the school is the number one way to make all boats float.
2: One of the things that's happening there, and and we were just at a at a panel discussion recently about uh, what's happening in neighborhood schools, about making neighborhood schools more attractive to parents. And there's one school in particular that they're 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 going to bulldoze. Potentially potentially rebuild Memorial Prep in, in Greater Logan Heights. And they uh, one of the ideas for that new school is to actually create career pathways there and to create a curriculum that connects people from you know uh, their sophomore year to a career. And so
5: that's something you guys have been doing, right? We, we actually have four sort of career tech themed um, small learning communities on our campus and I'm a huge fan. What for? what are they? So there's one that's focused on uh, building and engineering. It's called the Sustainable Academy of Building and Engineering or we affectionately call it SABE. Mm-hmm. There is a, an academy that's partnered with Radies Children's Hospital and um, it's called the Academy for Health and Healthier Communities. There is an Academy of Information Technology It's probably been around the longest. Um, it's part of the National Academy Foundation. And the fourth is a, an academy Of literature and media arts for kids who want to express um, their understanding through art or star
2: in a podcast like this. Perhaps, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We do have
5: a broadcast journalism class and we get into podcasting soon. I'd
2: be happy to come uh, help anyway. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) So, um, how does it, how does, what is life like for a student in that program that might have been different than just? 10 years ago.
5: I, well, I think we're, you know, we didn't invent this. The state of California has been investing in these small learning communities for a long time. And, and my experience dates back to almost 20 years ago where they were really just getting started when I was a teacher at Sarah High School. Uh, what I, I think the number one outcome is that connected kids do better in school. So it, whatever they're connected to. So there's and there's small pockets of kids that are connected at every school. That the athletes are connected, right? That the 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 drama program, those kids are connected. Kids who are in the band are connected. Kids who are part of clubs are connected. So what we're we've really been looking hard at from a high elevation is, you know, when you look at the list of kids at Hoover High School, what are they connected to? And and communicating with the lead adults in those small learning communities and saying, listen, we need your help monitoring these kids, first and foremost, getting them to school on a regular basis, helping them stay off of a loss of privilege list, and really engaging them in progress toward graduation. But there's, you know, this is a huge list, a comprehensive list that Cydia, and my assistant principals have really helped us build over the last two years. But there's probably half of the students at Hoover that aren't connected to a sport aren't a member of an academy. So
2: I just want to draw the picture for listeners. He does have a list in his hand here.
4: (laughs) I build that list. Yeah. (laughs) What is it? Um, It's a list of all of our students and their connections. I have um, different academies. I have community uh, connections that... um, uh, those are the organizations that Joe was speaking to um that you know have come into our community to help 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 us, and so it's a list of literally where our kids are connected
2: so they so it just to give uh, a picture it'll say the person the kid's name and then what academy they're in, and then if they're working with reality changers, mm-hmm. for example, which helps people connect to to college for people who aren't uh in a sort of natural track to get to college. And, uh, um, and then, uh, all these other price fellows, I, I work with them sometimes. Um, and so the idea being that if you can keep track of, you see, you see somebody without any connections there, you might need to talk to them and see what they, what they might be interested
4: in. Exactly. And if, and if I'm looking at this and seeing that they have a lot of absences or tardies, and I look at their grades and I see that they need something. That's those are the kids that we're going to reach out and find connections for.
2: Yeah, there's a school in your cluster, uh, Thrive, uh, the the charter school that does this individualized learning plans. This is mm-hmm. kind of a version of that, is what you're thinking of, like. right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, uh, uh, one of the I noticed that not all the kids are on, uh, uh, are in an academy, so so these are just elective um, or, or options for kids?
5: There are schools that say, you know, we're wall-to-wall academies, and I don't have a problem with that. Philosophically, I think there's room for kids to have success in high school without being part of an academy, and that's fine. And, and so many kids do. In fact, right now, I think the rate is about 60-40 non-academy at Hoover. As these academies develop and they've been strengthened, their pathways have been strengthened, as their post secondary connections become more clear, as the internship or workplace experiences become stronger, as they become more high profile, I suspect the balance to shift more the other direction 60% academy, 40% non. But I don't have a, a vision for wall to wall academies at our school. I don't know that we could support it. I really just want those to be healthy options for small learning communities in and, and an additional way for lots of kids to get connected.
2: I just want to push just, uh, so I'm still trying to picture it and maybe I just need to come see it. Is this, is the academy, it's like a a, a selection of, of classes that they take, or is it actually a, a place they go more often?
5: How does it? So how does it actually... It's an awesome question for, <laughs> and lots of parents ask this, and I'm sure our eighth graders who were articulating this yeah. week from Wilson and and Clark Middle Schools are curious too. So it's not a place, right? The academy is actually a, a group of teachers who have said um, we're on the same board, and we like the idea of creating interdisciplinary, in many cases, project based learning experiences for kids, and that we're going to cohort kids into a schedule where. If they have English together in the ninth grade, they're probably going to go to the science class together. They might definitely have a career technical class together that's aligned with the theme in that academy too. So that half of their day is together as a cohort and some really cool stuff comes out of that, that you develop some, uh, you know, some safety nets that wouldn't exist without, and that we create some common preps for the teachers who work in those content areas or in those academies and give them a period of 90 minutes a day to sit down and talk about it and monitor kids. Where's this kid at? How can we support this kid? So we create, City is Awesome. We have another dean, Terry Johns, who's incredible too. I have two assistant principals. They're both just beasts of, of, of administration. In a but good way. In a great way. <laughs> I mean, in the most loving way. But, but the, the, the five of us can't, can't move the needle for 2,000 kids. We really need to distribute that leadership role to the adults that have, already have, strong relationships with these kids. And how many students do you have right now? Two thousand. Well, th- right, we're, we're about nineteen seventy right now.
2: Are you? You know, a lot of the discussion in the district right now is how do you keep kids from choosing other schools? Are you finding more success in keeping them in the in the uh, assigned school district? There? So,
5: short answer, yes. That we've seen positive enrollment growth in the last two years, and, and expect to continue to. Yesterday, we had. Um, I said we were articulating the, the kids who come from the two feeder middle schools, and we get a healthy percentage of those kids. Without doing much at all, but we also reach out to kids who are going to non-public or to um, or who are outside of our enrollment pattern now. And just yesterday, I think we got seven kids who were on track to go to. I don't want to pick on any of our enrollment options. This one happened to be a kid who was going to Lewis, who was headed to Henry, and the parents came just to check out what would happen if they stayed. We the got them and we got them. We got seven total yesterday, which is nice. Um, you know, some of the some of the. Six thousand high school age kids who live within the enrollment boundary at Hoover, um, we get two thousand of them. Like that's there's plenty of headroom there. And I, my goal, and one of the things we haven't really talked about, maybe won't get to today, is that uh, we, we want to build a STEM pipeline in in, in the K twelve program, the ten elementary schools and the two feeder middle schools, where kids get an opportunity to do some STEM enrichment after school that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. That helps connect them to the the four STEM or STEAM academies at Hoover. So this is like a, a runway that is so well lit that why would we consider taking our kids out of this community?
2: Sydia, what what have you noticed about how the school has evolved over over the last several years?
4: Well, since I've been here for 10 years, um, the culture has definitely shifted. Um you know, Hoover has had a not so great reputation and um, it's and, and I remember coming in to that going okay what did I get myself into um, but now it's just the culture overall is completely shifted it's it's welcoming it's warm kids feel safe um, it's definitely much more college going more academic for a lot of kids it's it's just chain it's it, what what my gauge for me was when I started there I want to be I want to help this school be a school where I will send my kids mm. where I am comfortable sending my kids would you? Yes. At this point, yes, definitely. And my kids do come to activities with me a lot and they are super comfortable and they love it there. And my son, Joaquin, he wears his Hoover hat everywhere he goes because he's going to go to Hoover when he's in high school. It's like, okay, great. Let's do it. So I feel like we have moved in that direction where, yes, I would be happy to send my kids to Hoover. What do
2: you notice about the neighborhood and how it's shifted? There's uh, obviously, there's always so much attention on City Heights. And mm-hmm. is it you know, is does it need more? Does it mean more resources? Is it getting the right resources? Is it being led? Uh, how's the how's the neighborhood doing?
4: Um, like in terms of of safety or?
2: Is, it, I, is it I don't want to say getting better because I don't know exactly where I would draw the first line, but is it does it does it feel safe? Does it feel like it's it's uh, providing the resources that its its residents want?
4: I, I feel safe in the neighborhood where where I'm in in the neighborhood is, you know, quote, getting better. and but I'm also seeing a lot of families who are getting pushed out. And like one of the families I was working with today, you know, for their rent, just oh, it's re- gentrifying it's and it's and it's yeah. Hmm. and so we're we're seeing some of those families moving away. And they have all of these resources here when we want to be able to give those to them. and, you know, seeing this that this family's leaving because of that. It's kind of heartbreaking so it's it's a double-edged sword to see the you know neighborhood quote get better
2: I remember yeah I, I remember w- when we s- w- spent some time studying the neighborhood there was a lot of uh families that would move even within the neighborhood so much. And it's so disruptive, right? And it so is. to think that it getting better actually causes some of that is, is a little distressing.
5: Well, is. When we look at some of the seniors that we're trying to get across the graduation stage and the ones that are having the most trouble, like squarely fall into a category where mobility has kind of gotten in their way, the high percentage of those kids. I mean, to Sidia's point, I think that, that, that there's been a lot of attention and frankly, Price Philanthropies has poured a lot of money into helping create some really innovative solutions in that community for the last 20 years, I feel like. And, and um, I, what I think is most evident to me in the last five years in this community is that they, they're they're helping to um, empower parents and families and really it, it, to, to make it accessible to get the services that families need, whether those are around housing or around um, food or around legal support that by having programs at the, at the most accessible level for parents, they've really helped open eyes and, and, and help parents help themselves. I think that is what I'm most impressed with, with the, the parents that I work with at Hoover, that they really know what the resources are and how to get them. And they're not shy about saying, Hey, if you need them, I can show you where to go. And that's a nice feature. You don't, you don't, you don't want to um, the, the whole, you know, give them fish or teach them how to fish. It's like, I really feel like the the community of City Heights is learning how to fish. Hmm.
4: I I completely agree where I feel like years ago, it'd be so hard to get a parent in the office or call them or contact them, let them know what's going on. And now we have parents coming in regularly on their own, like calling me. I want to know more about this attendance issue. Help me understand what's going on here. And they are reaching out to us way more than they ever did before.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, we burned through a, a long. <laughs> I really appreciate your time, Syria Brewer and um, and Joe Austin. Uh, I, I guess I'm gonna have to come out, and I, you, can, you can bug me if you want me to come by. I'd love to help with the broadcast and the and the journalism team. We, great, you really impressed me. Yeah. have a, a, a YouTube
5: channel, Hoover High Nest, is oh, the cool. news, entertainment, student television, and they do an awesome job. All right, cool. Well, thank Thanks. you for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Scott.
2: Well, that was our show for this week. Again, I would love to get your perspective on Hoover High, on choosing what school to go to, on perceptions of schools, on, on why we're doing a terrible job or why we're doing a great job. And you can send all of that uh, or call in to 619-354-1085. 619-354-1085. You can email me at scott at org, Or uh, you can also just check us out on, on Facebook, Twitter, and we will definitely, Twitter is a very good way to get my attention. This has been The Voice of San Diego and Good Schools for All and done in concert with our friends at the Education Synergy Alliance.